Everyone needs a pastor. A Visit to the Pastor study brings biblically faithful pastoral ministry to you and pastoral ministry from those with proven experience in Christian service. Our time together will be lively, sometimes controversial, always useful, and never dull. Welcome to the study of Pastor Bill Shishko. And this is Pastor Bill Shishko here with you. It's great to have you with us for another visit to the pastor's study. Adoption is, I think, the richest term in the magnificent package of blessings God gives to those whom he saves by his sovereign grace. Calling describes the beautiful wooing that God does by the Holy Spirit as by the Word of God. He shows us the the wonder and glory of Jesus Christ and bids us come to him in faith and repentance. But calling can sound somewhat mystical. Regeneration, or the new birth, is the technical term to describe God's powerful work of changing human hearts so that they receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation. But regeneration can sound so formal that it masks the explosive power of the term itself. Justification is the word used for the act of God's grace by which he declares the one who's come to Christ in simple faith and repentance as not guilty both forgiven of the guilt of his or her sins and reckoned as perfectly righteous in Christ because of Christ's own righteousness imputed to him or her. But even defining justification can make the word sound coldly legal. Sanctification is the work of God's grace, making the person saved by grace more and more holy, But that heavy-duty term sanctification can sound very mechanical. But adoption. Adoption sounds warm and inviting, and it is. By nature, we're children of wrath and strangers to the covenant of grace that unites us to Christ and makes us children of God through him. The Lord's people are predestined to adoption as sons. Through a faith union with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we receive the adoption as sons, people with the same right of inheritance to eternal glory as Jesus, the unique Son of God, has. Wow! And Christians are given the Holy Spirit to bear witness to their adoption in Jesus Christ. By him, spiritual children cry out, Abba, Father, as surely as biological children call their biological parents, daddy and mommy. Well, adoption is simply the most poignant term to describe what God does in making us part of his family and in becoming our father in and through Jesus Christ. And earthly adoptions, the process and the outcome by which people become parents to children not born to them by natural means, are meant to beautifully reflect God's own adopting work. But Here's where the touching emotions attached to the term adoption can very easily shroud some very hard realities. You see, God adopts his children from hard places. By nature, his children are affected by the guilt, moral pollution, and spiritual scars they inherit from their first parents, Adam and Eve. They are deformed in their inmost beings, and that deformity works itself out in sinful paths and habits that are well that are not very pretty to behold. 
Those sinful paths and habits, coupled with exposure to a world filled with the multiple effects of sin and the curse, often serve to form or deform people with very bad behavior, warped emotions, twisted motivations, and patience-testing lifestyles. But with, with all praise and thanks to him, God adopts his children from hard places. And as romantic as earthly adoption may sound, in many, many cases, earthly adoptions mirroring God's own adopting work involve adopting children from hard places and from hard places not of their own making, children who gestated during difficult, stressful, or abused pregnancies, children who in the earliest months of their lives were exposed in utero to substances, disruptions or pressures that would bring permanent effects to that child. Children born during difficult births that brought about physical or mental impairment the child, well, the child's going to carry for the rest of his or her life. Children who were neglected from their earliest days, deprived of the bonding, the affection, and the whole person care that is so critical in the earliest stages of postnatal life. Children who in their upbringings have experienced abuse, neglect, and trauma. In some cases, trauma too painful to describe, let alone to experience. So whether foreign-born or born in our own nation, these children from hard places have experienced difficulties and challenges that make them undesirable for many parents who are seeking to adopt. But God adopts children from hard places, and so do his people. Well, our topic today is, as you've guessed, adopting children from hard places. In the course of the program, you'll hear about organizations and agencies that major on this very challenging area of social concern and social action. So you're going to want to have paper and a pen or pencil available to jot down the names and the websites and other contact information. But whether or not, whether or not you're considering adopting a child from a hard place, I do want you to at least be aware of what's involved, and I'm hopeful that what you hear in the minutes ahead and the one from whom you hear it will stir you to, in one way or the other, help with this very demanding enterprise that, in its multiple ways, reflects the very heart of our adopting God. Remember, before God, we're all children from hard places. My guest today is Mr. Paul English. He and his large family live in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, and I'm going to let him introduce himself and his family to you, including the children from hard places that he and his wife have adopted. He's lectured on this topic at Reformed Theological Seminary at its Charlotte, North Carolina campus, and he'll be bringing some of that material to you on today's program. But more than that, he's going to help you see inside this description of the experience of adopting children from hard places. Listen listen to this description. Alongside unparalleled joys, adoption of children from hard places can bring deep struggles as well. Times of disappointment, sacrifice, and even sorrow may well be part of the journey to nurture adopted children to their full potential and to connect with them deeply requires not only love, but also the knowledge and the practical tools for loving well. 
Remember that this program invites you to visit the pastor's study by way of your phone calls or your texts. To be on air as part of the program, just call 631-955-5400. Again, to be live on the air, that number is 631-955-5400. Or you can text your questions anytime during the week, but particularly for the program. You can text them at this number, 516-367-0391. Now put that under Pastor Bill, 516-367-0391. And I do love to get your, your text questions. But for now, Paul English, hey, welcome to a visit to the pastor's study. Uh, thank you. Good to have you with us. Hey, Paul, uh, you got quite a family. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, your family, and how you came to adopt children from hard places. <laughs> well, we have 13 children. Um, before my wife and I got married, we said we wanted to have 12 kids, and we, our plan was to have six natural uh, biological children and to adopt six children. And then in God's providence, the biological children kept coming and interrupted adoption plans a couple of times. And so we had nine biological children approximately every two years. Um, and it wasn't until... Our, our youngest was, uh, in a, you know, out of uh, probably around six, seven, eight years old that we finally thought we were ready to adopt, and yet we were also concerned that at this age we wouldn't be adopt, able to adopt an infant, which we had always thought we would want to adopt babies because we naively thought that babies would come with no problem, which, of course, is not true. Um, so it was... A few years ago, we realized, well, if we adopted an older child, that we weren't too old to adopt because the mother-to-child age difference would, would still be uh, within the reasonable or allowed range. And we started looking into adoption, and we looked into foster adoption and went through a process of about two years before we finally pretty much got the door slammed in our face and, for various reasons, we're not able to adopt through foster care and we we turned to international adoption and ran to roadblocks over and over. And we had been trying for about three years, I guess, and about um, about two uh, two years ago or a year and a half to two years ago, we a friend of a friend was talking about a hosting program that um, brings Ukrainian kids to America for to spend four weeks, both in the summer and, both, and then at Christmas time, uh, to experience you know, what a real home is like, what a real family is like. And they said they had this family had had to drop out of the program, and there were two biological sisters who needed somewhere to stay for Christmas and would be interested. And we said yes, and we uh, started the, the hosting program uh, Christmas a year and a half ago. Um, for uh, two and a half years ago now, yeah, <laughs> like a strike of time. Um, oh, when you have thirteen children, you can be excused for, <laughs> for not quite yeah. being sure of, of the years. Sure, sorry so, to interrupt you. Yeah, that's okay. So, so the girls came, and the idea we kind of had of hosting was these poor orphans, bring them to America, show them a loving family. It'll improve their lives. Even if they don't get adopted, they still experience love in a family. 
and it's good for them for the rest of their lives. And we went into it planning. We're not planning to adopt, partly because we didn't want to have unrealistic expectations. And this, the hosting started out great, and about the third day, the, the, the girls were, I guess, 9 and 13. And about the third day, they started getting more comfortable in our home, and something was said or done, and the younger one went into an, a violent meltdown it lasted probably 45 minutes, had to be physically restrained. And from then on, it was at least once a day, violent meltdown. Um, it, we were somewhat at our wit's end. And for the first two weeks, it was the hardest two weeks of our entire life. And we said, we're definitely not adopting these girls. Um, and then about halfway through, we, we realized that we had had been given some tools in some training we had in the past, and we started to see just a little bit of progress, and my wife particularly started to feel like, okay, if, if things are this bad for them, what does that mean about where they came from, and how can we send them back there? And at the same time, thinking, God seems to be giving us some grace and knowledge in how to help these girls, and maybe... Maybe we could do it, and we can't imagine who else could. <laughs> um, because most of the other hosting experiences that we knew about were not nearly this traumatic. Um, and so we, we got through the hosting and then talked to our, adopt, our, our youngest biological kids, who were roughly, this, roughly the same age as our hosting kids, and sat down and talked to them, and they were on board with trying to adopt, even though they knew it was going to be really hard. We started the paperwork uh, July, um, a year, a little over a year ago. No, two years Please ago. Know. July, they came for hosting again. At that point, we 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 talked down, sat down, talked to them, and said, "You would you like to be adopted?" And they said yes. And then we finished the paperwork in the fall, and at Christmas, um, we went over there. And in February, a year ago, we brought them home to our family. Wow. What a, what a, what a beautiful example of Christ-like self-giving love. Uh, incidentally, what's the age range in your thirteen children? Front, don't give me all the ages. It'll take up most of the program. But from oldest to well, youngest, right now they're twenty-nine to eleven. Okay, all right. Give us, just give us, Paula, thirteen children. Give us a little picture, if you can do that, of what your home life is like. Okay, well, for one thing, we don't have 13 children at home. <laughs> That's true. Good point. Okay. Um, so three of them are married and have – some of the married ones have lived with us at various times. Uh, some are in college. Some live overseas. So we're – a few – a couple months ago, we actually had children in four different time zones or five different time zones um, and I think four different countries. So – it, we are spread out now. We actually have six living at home. Wow. Okay. Although at the moment, my daughter and her husband are temporarily living with us, and my other son just came back from a semester in France today. Um, so it's, it's, it kind of it's, it's, people are kind of in and out a lot. Paul, Paul, your home um, your home is like a like a southern United Nations. You, you got that. <laughs> 
Well, look, that's that's absolutely fascinating. You know, I I read this. It was fascinating preparing for the program. I read this statement: adoptive and foster parents must be committed and uniquely equipped to lead children from hard places toward healing. Unpack that a little bit for us. I think the main thing to rem- to remember in regard to that is that a lot of people, even people who have had some training, go into adoption thinking these are kids whose love cup is too low, and if we can just fill, their- fill them up with love, that's what they need. They've been unloved. They just need to be loved, and that will fix things. And the problem is that children from hard places – it has affected their brain. So we're not just talking about emotionally how they're feeling, but actually how their brain is affecting how they feel and act and think. And if we don't understand some of that, the things that we might do and say with our normal kids who have grown up with a safe environment, which has affected their brain development normally, we might do or say things that, we're going to get a reaction that we don't understand and don't know how to de- don't know how to deal with. And for for instance, the, the, the easiest thing to that I give like to give this example all the time is um, a child who has come from hunger, who has spent perhaps years feeling hungry, and the reason he's hungry is because those in authority, whether it's his parents or the orphanage officials, is those in authority over him have not given him enough food to eat. And so his brain is on alert, constantly thinking about getting enough food so he doesn't actually die from starvation. That's how his, he's operating subconsciously. And so if my biological child, who has grown up safely in my home, comes in, at, he's a 10-year-old, and he comes in and says, Mom, can I have a snack? And she says, we're going to eat supper in 15 minutes. You can wait. He says, okay. He might be sassy and say, why do you always make me wait? And she says, watch your language or, you know, shape up. And he's okay with that. The, the ador- adopted kid or the, or the foster kid or whatever who's dealing still with hunger issues, even though he's not currently starving to death, he comes in, he's feeling hungry, and he says, Mom, can I have a snack? And she says, no, wait 15 minutes. What he hears is the authority in my life, my parent or... Some authority has just told me he's going to refuse me food, and I'm about to die of starvation. I need to start doing something right now to save my life. And that might mean emotional shutdown and go off in a corner. It might mean bite, kick, smash, tear, hurt me, hurt you, whatever. It looks, it's a flight, flight, freeze. It can look like different things. And waiting 15 minutes to eat supper is not, a, an, is not an attempt to starve a child, and yet he's receiving it that way. And it's not a, it's not a logical reaction. It's not, it's not thinking bad things about his parents. It's what his brain has just gone into, flight, flight, freeze, default, panic mode. Um, I need to save my life. Okay, Paul, let, let me ask you, and maybe this is beyond your, your, your field of competence. In fact, it may even, uh, you know, we're probably just in the realm of speculation anyway, but... I mean, has this is there scientific evidence that this has literally affected the neuropathways in the brain 
and those pathways need to be changed over time, uh, or are we dealing just kind of with more of a behavioristic thing? This is a learned behavior, and it just has to be unlearned. I guess the practical effect is the same in either case, but, but I, I guess essentially, how do you undo that? Well, that, that, the, good thing, the good news is that basically the simple terms is the thing in terms of upstairs brain, downstairs brain. Okay. So things like prefrontal cortex, things, the upstairs, the top, physically the top part of the brain, which controls logical thinking, rational behavior, things like that, is normally the larger part of the brain in terms of development. And you can actually, they've actually done brain scans. This is scientific evidence that it is more, normally it's well-developed, and the, what's called the downstairs brain, the amygdala, the part that starts, you know, that that pushes adrenaline and, and, and those glands down, those parts down there that, that, that give you the, the rush to when the tiger's chasing you, you don't think rationally about whether or not to, to run or not. You just start running. Yeah. You go into panic mode. Yeah. So in children, trauma and, and the, Research has even shown that even neglect, the trauma of neglect, will do as much as abuse. What happens in children's brains is that the lower or downstairs brain becomes overdeveloped, and the upstairs brain is underdeveloped. And this has scientifically been studied and and confirmed. What also has been confirmed is is the brain is now considered to be plastic, and that that those things can be changed. It's not hardwired. And that with the right treatment, with the right consistent um, application of behavior and love and, and, and nurture, nurture and discipline structure, that that brain can be changed to become what should normally be a well-developed upstairs brain and a lower, less developed downstairs brain and i would assume paul that the length to to make that change in, in the in the uh as you would put the plastic character of the brain that would depend to a large extent on how deep um the the period of distress or the distress itself was that affected the child negatively correct yes yeah, okay. and and when the trauma is, is is in in the early years you've got complications of things like even sensory processing disorder where children haven't been nurtured properly being held and, and, and cared for in physically. And then they can't, if they can't see, hear, um, react to their senses normally, then there's all those complications. But even those things, there is hope for healing. Well, but yes, the, the longer the trauma, probably the longer the healing will take. The longer healing process. Yeah, fascinating. Yeah. Fascinating. And, and, and if someone has, if a child has been raised and, and was in, in a fairly safe environment and then experiences trauma, there's a, it, it seems that there's, it, it's easier to get back to where they were, whereas a child who's been neglected or traumatized from birth maybe has never had his brain actually where it needs to be. And so you're almost starting from zero, and there's a, there can be a lot more work to do. Amazing. My guest today is Paul English. He with his wife are the parents of, of 13 children, and a couple of them are what are called children from hard places, a fascinating topic. We're going to continue with uh, basically what the counting the cost of adopting children from hard places. We'll be back uh, after this message from Reformation Metro New York and the voice of a visit to the pastor's study. That great city, New York. 
Metropolitan New York is the largest city in the United States. And with a population of over 20 million people, Metro New York is one of the largest cities in the world. And what's more, Metro New York is home to people from every nation of the world. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. But churches faithful to historic Reformation Christianity in the Metro New York area are few and far between. The mission fields of Metro New York are America's richest and most neglected. Reformation Metro New York is an agency by which the Orthodox Presbyterian Church is planting and developing biblically faithful churches and church ministries in the Metro New York area. Through Reformation Metro New York, you can help promote the outreach of this program, a visit to the pastor's study, and other projects designed to further the ongoing reformation of the church. That and church planting are the great passions of Reformation Metro New York. For more information, check out the website at ReformationMetroNY.org where you'll get a personal look at the ministries of the churches, pastors, evangelists, and teachers of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in the area, and you'll learn how you can be a part of our labors. We need your help. Here's the site again, ReformationMetroNY.org. Thanks for your interest and your help. Remember that great city, New York. To reach Metro New York is to reach the world. Now back to today's edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Pastor Bill Shishko here with you today. Our, our, our absolutely riveting topic is adopting children from hard places. My guest is Paul English, who knows so much about this from his own family experience and studies. If you'd like to call in with questions about adopting children from hard places, be part of the program, 631-955-5400. Again, the live call-in number right here at the studio, 631-955-5400. Or you can text your question if you'd like, 516-367-0391. 516-367-0391 for your text questions. Paul, talk about counting the cost of adopting children from hard places. I always kind of find this a conundrum anyway in the Christian life, but what's the cost of people thinking about adopting children from hard places? What's the cost they should think about counting? Well, I think the cost that people usually think about is the, the financial cost because it, it's expensive to, to to adopt internationally, and I think that's the that's the least <laughs> the least of the cost. Um, I'd, I'd say people often have a romantic view of adoption, and it's it's almost certainly going to be harder than you think. So, just like having when you have that baby, your first baby, and, you know, you're up all night and the baby's got colic or whatever and you can't get him to be settled and you can't get him to sleep and you're too tired and your husband or wife is too tired and it just it can seem so hard. Um, it, it's the same kind of thing. Children from hard places who have – and, of course, there's a whole range. They've had all kinds of traumatic issues, but it's going to be really hard. Um Another another thing to consider is if you have already have biological children, it's important to cons- very carefully consider the the effect it may have on your biological children. Um, even I mean there can you know, everything from safety issues. If your child, if the adopted child has been sexually molested and has may have sexual abuse issues, that may be even just a safety issue for other biological children who may be in harm's way. 
Um, there are things, so many things to consider. Our two youngest biological children were actually traumatized by our adopted children in a way that we did not even anticipate and they did not anticipate. And it, it was, it has been really hard. Um, the amazing thing is, and I get choked up when I talk about it, they are so on board that even when they're hurt over and over again and really hurt by whether it's deliberate or not, these, their new adopted siblings, they've been hurt and traumatized and yet over and over again, turning, going back to the one who has hurt them and showing the love of Christ. I don't have to look past my two youngest uh, uh, biological children to see Jesus every day. Wow. And that is, is just amazing what they have been able to do, but that's not necessarily, you can't assume that. And so you have to be very careful that you're not threatening and traumatizing your family trying to save other kids. It's not worth losing some kids no. in order to save others. Now, I would assume um, all of your, your other family members would be, the, the children, they would be on board with having these adopted children from hard places, correct? You didn't just announce to them, yes. this is what you're doing. Yeah. No, no. We, in fact, our two youngest who had seen what it was like in hosting, we basically, we went to them after hosting and, and asked them what they wanted to do, and we told them very clearly, you have, you have a, a veto power. Either one of wow. you can say no, and it will stop it for the entire family. Wow. And, and it was very clear, and they both said we want to do it. In fact, uh, my... My 14-year-old, who at the time I guess was 12, she, her, she said she was afraid, but her fear was that her adoption plans would get canceled again, like they had three times before. Oh, interesting. Yeah, wow. Um, but but you know we had we did have so much of a culture of adoption in our family, and so they were very much on board. I would say a family should never go f- forward if if some of the kids are, are not on board with it. The other thing to the cost is is even in the marriage. Um, I'm getting ready to go into. Uh, counseling full-time of families with adopted kids and realizing that marriage counseling will be part of that, it is, it, it, it puts a stress on the marriage just like, you know, that newborn does. But it's, you know, you may not, who knows when you're going to go to bed at night and when you have to get up in the morning, and you may end up with a 15-year-old bed in your, in your bed because she's terrified of the nightmare she's having. Amazing. And it's the safest place she knows is to be in bed with mom and dad and that's actually a good thing that she's connected well enough that she yep. feels that you're safe, and yet, you know, it's that's hard on the marriage. So, and so, yeah, well, those are some of the costs. Paul, let me ask you, and this is a massive question, but people are obviously going to be saying, how has the grace of God sustained and strengthened and blessed you through this? There are a number of ways. One, we have had, we do have a, we do have a strong faith. My wife and I are both on the same page and very committed to each other. And the hardest part has been when, in our marriage, when we're so busy with the kids, we don't actually have, trying to take five minutes, in the beginning, trying to take five minutes alone to talk. Our biological kids assumed that we were going off, I mean, I mean our adopted kids assumed that we were going off in a corner to talk about them. And so they would sort of freak out if we tried to go and talk to each other. And so we actually literally sometimes had no time together alone in the beginning. 
but we were so committed that, you know, we were hanging in there by God's grace. Um, our kids, the in our case, we have biological kids who are older and very committed to it, committed to prayer. And there have been times sitting, holding a screaming uh, child, throwing a, throwing an absolute kick, meltdown, which almost looked like it was demon possession. And my older kids standing around us in a half circle, just praying out loud for us and for her and singing Jesus loves me at the top of their lungs. So to be over the, the obscenities that she's screaming at the top of her lungs. And so that's some of it. Also, we were very clear in the, before they came home, we had, I talked to people in prayer meeting at our church and basically told them a little bit about what I knew about the brain and what it looks like and what adoption looks like to children from hard places and told them very clearly, one thing is you're going to see stuff that's going to look like lax parenting or, or, or it's going to look like just like someone throwing a temper tantrum and it's not. And we, we need your, your understanding and we need your prayers. And we've been very transparent, especially on our, our private Facebook page where we pretty much let people know how things are going. And we have people, especially in our church and around the country who are praying for us and letting them know specifically how to pray. And our church has been incredibly supportive and that has been a, that's been a main, a major means oh, of grace. Yeah, we need to, when, when, after a little break that we're going to have, uh, I do want to <laughs> talk with you, Paul, about the role of the church in, in this matter. Uh, our guest today is Paul English. Uh, our topic, it, it is the very riveting topic of adopting children from hard places. And never forget that that's the work that our Father in Heaven does with us. We're all by nature and and by upbringing to children from hard places and we're getting mirrors of this in in the in what what Paul English is telling us today I'll the call in number again if you want to call with your questions and please please don't wait till the end of the program if you got your questions now call 631-955-5400 631-955-5400 or you can text your question if you're more comfortable with that text it to pastor bill 516 Three six seven zero three nine one five one six three six seven zero three nine one. Just a, a moment here to let you know that this program is part of the outreach of a, of a group of churches here in the uh, southern Connecticut and metropolitan New York area. Uh, they are congregations of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church that meet in East Haddam, Connecticut. That's Harvest Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamden, Connecticut, whereas you'll find Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, which is called OPC, make it a little bit easier, the OPC in Mount Vernon, New York, uh, Reformation Presbyterian Church in Fresh Meadows, Queens, and right here on Long Island, uh, the OPC in, in Franklin Square, New York, and then Trinity Church in Syosset, and also the Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Bohemia. These aren't the only faithful churches here in uh, the metropolitan New York area, but we invite you to them. Our big concern in the program is that you be part of, of faithful churches where the Word of God is preached and Christ is lifted up as our great prophet, priest, and king. Uh, we have podcasts of past programs. Uh, probably the easiest is to get them from visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's all one word, visitthepastorsstudy.org. And I particularly would recommend to you two programs that dovetail 
with this material on adopting children from hard places. One is Autism Help for Parents and Their Children, a very popular program. It's been helpful even in developing a blog uh, for parents who are um, wrestling with these issues, uh, led by Christina Miller. I commend that program to you at visitthepastorstudy.org, Autism Help for Parents. That's the March in March of 2018. When the podcast list at the website, you'll find it in March 2018. And then a year earlier, in March 2017, under podcast, Pastor Ben Miller's outstanding program, Forming Young Disciples. I don't know of any... Any um, we call these magazine articles for the ear. I don't know of any magazine article for the ear that more concisely develops in the scriptures and in practice what it is to form young disciples. That's in the March 2017 podcast at visitthepastorsstudy.org. Uh, you would love to have you like us and follow us on Facebook. That will keep you up on what's going on from week to week. Or you can email me, visit Pastor Bill. That's all one word, visitpastorbill at gmail.com. Um, anything, comments about the program, suggestions, uh, please uh, don't hesitate to communicate with me. That's my pastoral channel to you. Visit PastorBill at gmail.com. Again, our topic today is adopting children from hard places. My guest, Paul English. Call in number 631-955-5400 and text number 516-367-0391. Paul, talk to us about the role of the church in helping or facilitating adopting children from hard places? Uh, well, like I was saying, um, one of the best, I mean, one of the biggest and most important things is, is prayer. Um, and the only way for people to be able to pray intelligently is for them to know what's going on. And so it's really important for families who are adopting from hard places to be willing to be open and share their struggles so they can be prayed for. In in connection with that, though, is it, there needs to, there should be some some amount of education. Um, EmpoweredConnect.org is a website that um, combines um, you know church-based ministry with the science of 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 deal of helping children from hard places and tries to bring that together specifically to help both individuals and churches, um, with this. And there's a lot of things on that website. I would say that... Um, yeah, give us the website again, Paul. I urge people to yeah. be able to write these things down. Give the website again, please. So, Empowered to Connect. It's all one word, EmpoweredToConnect.org. Yeah, dot, .org. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. Uh, and what, what particularly commends that site uh, to our listeners, Paul? They have, the, the people who have done the research, the scientific research, and really done groundbreaking uh, stuff on and helping kids uh, with, you know, getting the brain switched back to where it needs to be, and with the trust-based, what they call trust-based relational intervention or trust-based parenting. People yeah. have done that a lot on the... the yeah, develop that a little bit, Paul. It's one of the phrases I read, trust-based parenting. Explain that a bit to us. I guess the, the the easiest way to think about it is kids who have gone through trauma do not trust adults, whether it's their parents who have traumatized them or other adults. But because of trauma, they do not trust 
adults and so they've come into a family but you cannot connect to them as a parent in the way you need to to, to teach them just you know whether it's just regular just sort of we think of it as normal behavior just normal things in a family and particularly teaching them about God's grace and the gospel until they, if they don't trust you they're not going to believe anything you say and so we we normally teach our biological children to trust us when they're you know a few days old and they cry we pick them up when they're uncomfortable we change their diaper when they're hungry we feed them and we start teaching them trust from day one by the time they can talk they don't think about the fact that they trust us implicitly they feel safe with their parents and these adopted kids from hard places don't feel safe and it's just making them safe isn't enough they need to feel safe and so there's things like like when they're hungry giving them a snack and not saying wait 15 minutes um and and so understanding that they their need for for learning trust and safety changes the way that we approach them and we need to make sure that we're meeting meeting that need of felt safety and felt trust in order to then meet their other needs of um proper good behavior and and so on and 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 bring the gospel to them yeah paul and maybe i'm a little bit off on this chris i think you know pastor theologian this sounds to me remarkably like why God gives us the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, so that uh, so that our trust in what God tells us will be strengthened. Am, am I off the mark on that, or or is that a helpful analogy? No, I, I think you're I think you're right. God, God, who is a loving Father and adopts us from our places, realized that we don't we do need more than just words. We need more than just correct thinking. We need Things to make us the sacraments, yeah, it's a sign and a seal. It, it, when we're eating that bread and wine, that's something that God is doing something spiritually to us, but it's through physical elements. Yeah. It's where our senses. So, yeah, I think that's uh, an analogy that's, that's good. Yeah, especially because we think of the sacraments as, as assurance. They give us an assurance. Well, I don't want to get too far afield, but but the the, the analogies are right, really are, right, are, right. You know, I think I think Paul of God's long-suffering with us, right? When we have our meltdowns, as you put it, and temper tantrums. And, my, you, you, you just so reflect that here. Um, let's go back, because I don't want to miss this. By now, our listeners are going to be writing down some of these resources. You've mentioned empoweredconnect.org. Are there other resources for churches and families that would be helpful? Um, so, TBRI is the acronym for Trust-Based Relational Intervention. Okay. And honestly, if you Google TBRI or, or search for it on YouTube, you'll find an, a lot of resources, videos you can watch, which is the easiest way to learn just some of the basics of this. And so, you know, kind of going back to what the, the churches can do, like if I'm in the parking lot and my daughter somebody says something or I do something and she starts absolutely yelling, screaming. For instance, she starts saying words that I might not have even heard before in my life. Yeah, especially that we don't um, associate with church, right? Yeah. Right, right, right. You know, bleepity bleep, bleep, bleep. And I don't immediately start spanking her um, because in the past when she's done, melted down, she's been beaten by 
caretakers oh. and abused. And um, so I, my reaction is trying to calm her because her brain has flipped, and I ne- we need to get you back into calm so you can actually start thinking rationally. And the kids or the adults in the parking lot are, are looking at it, and it looks like a permissive parent who really needs to know about, you know, some biblical principles of discipline. Yeah. And, and so educating our people and being not judgmental but coming alongside and saying, how can we help? What can we do to help when this is going on? And, um, and maybe it's just ignore it. I've had, I've been in the, actually in the sanctuary after church talking, um, to people and my daughter went into melt, she's lying on the floor, just throwing a fit. And everyone just stood around talking with themselves and no, everybody acted as if nothing was going on. And I was so grateful. <laughs> and it just, yeah. people, and then afterwards people come to me and said, we're praying for you. You know, you're doing a great sure. job. And that is just so encouraging, right. so helpful. Yeah, so it really does take a church community to help out with this, so, so you're not in it on, on your own, right? It does. If you're doing this on your own, you, it's going to be extremely hard, if not impossible. Yeah. Paul, uh, probably a sensitive part of this thing. Happy endings? I mean, even given God's promises of grace and help, uh, what are some of the unexpected endings that may come in adopting children from hard places? Uh, and don't hold back. Uh, well, yeah, so well, I guess there's a couple things to say. First is, we don't have any guarantees that they're biological children. And, you know, there are heartbreaking stories of parents who did a very good job with their biological children, great Christian home, and they went off and rejected God. And so God doesn't give us ironclad guarantee that you'll have a Jacob and not an Esau. On the other hand, well, and, and on the other hand, there's probably more risk with these children um, one possibility is that they will just not, they'll, they'll reject what you have to give them. And I know a family who has adopted a number of children. One of theirs got to age 17. He saved up enough money to buy a ticket to go back to Ukraine and left the family. And it was, everyone's looking at it saying, you're doing the most foolish thing you could ever think of. Even if he just waited a year until he's an adult, he could. There were so many more advantages, but he just and it broke his parents' heart. Um, the most extreme cases are where it's so bad, um, particularly if there's been sexual abuse. It just where the parents just become unable to actually do what needs to be done, and a child needs to be sent to say a you know a camp, a military style camp or something. The most extreme case would be. Having to go through a, a sort of a readoption or unadoption, um, putting back into the system or or being adopted to another family that has better yeah. well, capabilities. So, so, so let me flip it around then. Then Paul, what what are the what are the the blessed things you've seen uh, you and your wife in your experience of adopting children from hard places? Well, the most amazing thing is, and this is where people on the on the secular side are great about the science of the brain and being caring and trusting and, you know, building, helping the brain to reset and all this stuff. And yet if all you do is get well-adjusted, happy children who are going to hell, you haven't really accomplished much at all. And so we always have, for Christians... We have to understand what, how the brain factors in, the weakness of the flesh, but we always have to bring the gospel. And with our youngest, who is 
Um, we'll be turning 12 in just a couple months. Uh, we've had her now for uh, 14 months, I guess. Um, she still has meltdowns where her brain is obviously has flipped, and she's saying things like, I hate my family, and I want to go back to Ukraine, and I wish you were all dead. And yet she comes out of that and says, Mom and Papa, I'm so sorry I said those things. Please forgive me. Wow. And her heart, she, will, she can explain to you better about what the meaning of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is better than most people I know. She gets the gospel. And the best example is, and I'm studying biblical counseling right now, where, we, where the, the goal is to, to, do, to balance those two sides, right? And the other day I was walking up with her, and she had gone off in the woods behind our house, and she was as flipped out. And I finally got her, we got, finally got her soothed down, and she got her brain back where she's logically thinking again. And we were walking back up toward the house, and she said, Papa, I'm sorry I said those bad things. She understands that it's sin. And, and, well, and, and so I, I said, well, yeah, it's, but I'm trying to be understanding. And I said, it's hard, isn't it, when your brain is kind of going crazy and, and, and you feel like you can't, aren't going to have control. And she said, yeah, and when you have sin. <laughs> and it? she wasn't going to let me or her off the hook. Well. Yes. You're 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 learning. You're in a wonderful school of theology with those children, Paul. <laughs> I, <know. laughs> I think Jesus, when he talked yeah. about the faith of a child, that that's it, what, it is. Yeah. She is so excited about going to heaven someday and seeing uh, Jesus. That's wonderful. That's great. And well, yet, she still has moments when, just two nights ago, she kept us up till two o'clock in the morning. Yeah. She was her brain was on fire, and she could not get past the fact that she wasn't being treated the same as her biological sister, who's three three years older. And she started talking about how much we hated her. But she doesn't think. Yeah. But she obviously wasn't thinking rationally, and it just and it's and it's building and building, and yet, and so it's constantly having to balance. You know, you can't just say, "Remember, God loves you." Remember, God loves you. There's got to be that, and we do it with our own our biological children. But it's it's sort of a more extreme um, thing we have to think about. Amazing, hey, um, Paul, Paul. You just got a, a couple more minutes left for you here on, on the program. But get, name the top two or three things to keep in mind for people who are thinking about adopting children from hard places? You know, one thing I think would be, if you are really seriously considering it, um, if it's international, if there's any way to do it through a hosting program, we knew what we were getting into because we hosted these girls twice. And we knew to some degree how hard it would be. I know of families who have gone to a blind adoption, signed up, went over, got a kid, didn't know anything about him, and it was a terrible match, and they were not equipped. And it ended up being a disaster. And even with foster, I mean, if you're adopting through the foster system, there's, a, you know, foster first and then adopt, or, you know, to see if it's going to work with your family. So blind adoption, just saying we think we're equipped and just going for it, that's probably not the wisest thing, especially if you have biological children. Um, also just education, talking to people, um, learning as much as you can, uh, a great resource. You know, when you do your home study and everything, everyone's going to ask you to read The Connected Child, which is kind of one of the standard books now by Karen Purvis. Right. What they won't necessarily get you to read, which you should read, is her other book, Created to Connect, A Christian's Guide to the Connected yeah. Child. Yeah. And in that book... She t- 
tells, explains the biblical foundation behind the neutral or secular principles that she gives in the other book, which is written to a broader audience. But it really is basic, it's biblical principles, and understanding that really is helpful. Yeah, now that's at empoweredtoconnect.org, right? It is. Yes. And the and the two volumes, one is the connected child, but the but the specific biblical development is in the volume created to connect, right? Yes. Okay, which is a subtitle to Christian's Guide to the Connected Child. Um Paul, do you mind giving your contact information if people would like to reach out you via email? I do not mind at all. Um it's it's Paul Judy English, which is me and my wife. Paul Judy, but, just Paul, not Paul, Paul Ann. Yeah, okay. Paul Judy English. Yeah, okay. At Mac.com. Okay. But Judy is spelled with an I, not uh, a Y. Okay, so we'll spell it out. <laughs> P-A-U-L, like the apostle. Paul, yep. J-U-D-I, with nothing yep. in the middle. Paul Judy at, um, what is it again, Mac.com? No, no English. Oh, oh, English. Language. Okay, Paul Judy yeah. English. Can't forget that. Uh, yeah. At, at Mac, right? Yeah, mac.com. We can tell you're a Mac user. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Paul. Hey, listen, thanks so much to Paul English for being our guest on this fascinating, gripping program, Adopting Children from Hard Places. Uh, you've got Paul's address, email address, if you'd like to reach out to him. Also, if you'd like to reach out to me, you can email me at visitpastorbill at gmail.com. We would very much appreciate your feedback or your questions. Again, visit PastorBill at gmail.com. Remember that tomorrow is the Lord's Day, and be sure to set apart time to worship the Lord in a church that is faithful to the Word of God, a church somewhat like you heard Paul English describe today, a, a community that will affirm and show love, uh, living out of the gospel uh, that is given for sinners. What a, what, a, what a sobering thought, isn't it, that we are all... By nature, children from hard places, God reaches down to us in Christ. He's long-suffering with us. He helps us. He, he does disciplines us. He even gives us things to increase our trust. What, a, what an amazing gospel. So be in a church that will make the gospel known to you. And remember, too, to all of you who are out here, we're children from hard places, and wherever you're from, everyone needs a pastor. You've been listening to A Visit to the Pastor's Study, a ministry of Reformation Metro New York. Our website is www.reformationmetrony.org. Again, that's www.reformationmetrony.org. For more information on the program, check out our website at www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. That's www.visitthepastorsstudy.org. Listen in next week at 12 noon for another edition of A Visit to the Pastor's Study. Remember, everyone needs a pastor.